and welcome to History Obscura. As always, I am your host, Mandy Gardner. Tonight I'm taking you far into the past, to a world of Delta floods, early Mediterranean networking, and mummies. But first... Once upon a time, in Egypt, there was a baby born to Pharaoh Thutmose I and his great royal wife, Amos. They called their baby Hatshepsut. It was the 16th century BCE, and Egypt was entering its classical period some 100 years after the dissolution of its Middle Kingdom. The most recent period of disunity, the Second Intermediate Period, between 1650 and 1550 BCE, had recently ended. A series of great pharaohs reunited the country and founded the New Kingdom, which would last another 500 years. Hatshepsut was born at the dawn of a glorious age of Egyptian imperial power and prosperity. Her father, King Tutmose I, was a charismatic leader of legendary military exploits. Hatshepsut, scholars surmise, may have come into the world about the time of his coronation, held in 1504 BCE, and would therefore have been a toddler when he sailed famously home to Thebes with the naked body of a Nubian chieftain dangling from the prow of his ship, a warning to all who might threaten him. Hatshepsut idolized her father, and would eventually have him reburied in the tomb she had built for herself. She claimed that soon after her birth, he named her successor to his throne, but this, scholars feel, would have been highly unlikely. There had only been two, possibly three, female pharaohs in the previous 1500 years, and each had ascended to the throne only when there was no suitable male successor available. Normally, the pharaonic line passed from father to son, preferably the son of the queen, but if there were no such offspring, to the son of one of the pharaoh's secondary or harem wives. In addition to Hatshepsut, and another younger daughter who apparently died in childhood, it's believed that Thutmose I fathered two sons with Queen Ames, both of whom predeceased him. Thus, the son of a secondary wife, Mutnofret, was crowned Thutmose II. To consolidate the family bloodlines, Hatshepsut was married to her half-brother Thutmose II, making her Queen of Egypt at about the age of 12. Thutmose II is generally described as frail and ineffectual, just the sort of person a supposedly shrewish Hatshepsut could push around. Public monuments, however, depict a dutiful Hatshepsut standing appropriately behind her husband. But while she bore her husband a daughter, Neferur, Hatshepsut failed in the more important duty of producing a son. So when Tutmos II died young, 
possibly still in his twenties, the throne went yet again to a harem child. Duly named Thutmose III, this child was destined to become one of the great warrior kings of Egypt. But at the time of his father's death, he was likely an infant. Clearly too young to rule. Monuments of the time show Thutmose III, still a child but portrayed in the conventional manner as an adult king, performing his pharaonic duties, while Hatshepsut, dressed as queen, stands demurely off to one side. Everything changed by the seventh year of her regency, however, when the formerly slim, graceful queen appears as a full-blown, flail and crook-wielding king, with the broad, bare chest of a man and the pharaonic false beard. It was to ensure and cement her legitimacy as pharaoh that Hatshepsut had her formal portraits and statues constructed to wear the traditional beard and headdress of a male Egyptian king. Indeed, the portraits are very masculine, sometimes even referring to her as a man. For at least two decades while Hatshepsut ruled Egypt, her stepson, Thutmose III, trained and worked as a soldier. Hatshepsut got to work, re-establishing Egypt's traditional trading networks that had been lost in the previous centuries of political upheaval. The queen in a king's beard thereby organized a trading expedition to the almost mystical land of Punt. This trading expedition was comprised of five ships, each measuring 70 feet long, bearing several sails, and accommodating 210 men that included sailors and 30 rowers. The Egyptian queen desired to bring mortuary items like incense to her city of Karnak in exchange for gold she had acquired from Nubia. Hatshepsut personally accompanied this famous Egyptian expedition. She documented Punt as land of the gods a region far to the east in the direction of the sunrise, blessed with products for religious purposes, where traders returned with gold, frankincense, myrrh, ivory, ebony, incense, aromatic resins, animal skins, live animals, eye makeup cosmetics, fragrant woods, and cinnamon. Historians are not at all positive where the land of Punt was located, but many suspect it was in the modern country of Eritrea, which shares Sudan's southeastern border and also borders the Red Sea. Hatshepsut's journey to Punt, wherever it may have lain, was a huge success. The king brought back 31 live myrrh trees, the roots of which were carefully kept in baskets for the duration of the voyage. This was the first recorded attempt to transplant foreign trees. It is also reported that Hatshepsut had these trees planted in the courts of her mortuary temple complex, instilling the fragrant and highly spiritual scent of myrrh 
all around the tombs just outside the city of Luxor. As for the charred frankincense she brought home with her, the queen ground it into coal eyeliner, starting a fashion trend that is still synonymous with ancient Egyptians. The king was also motivated to become the nation's most successful builder, a task for which she hired her father's own architect, Inini, and conferred with her royal steward, Senmut, a man who many believe was her lover. Hundreds of beautiful buildings were constructed throughout the kingdom during Hatshepsut's reign, including her own mortuary tomb, which still stands nestled into the River Nile adjacent cliffs of a strip of land still called Upper Egypt. It looks, as she intended, like a holy sandstone monument that burst naturally from its surroundings and perched there. She did have her father Tutmos II reinterred in her proud temple, where eventually, in the year 1458 BCE, she herself was laid to rest. Upon Hatshepsut's death, of which we have no accounts, her stepson ascended the throne probably in his mid-twenties. By that time, the heir had developed a loathing for Hatshepsut, and it is to Tutmos III that historians assign credit for the destruction of the female pharaoh's visage and name. Hatshepsut's monuments were attacked, her statues dragged down and smashed, and her image and titles defaced. The female king vanished from Egyptian history, chiseled literally from record and lost to memory for thousands of years. In 1903, the archaeologist Howard Carter found Hatshepsut's sarcophagus in the 20th tomb uncovered in the Valley of the Kings. The sarcophagus, one of three that the queen had prepared, was empty. The female king's whereabouts were anyone's guess for another 98 years, until Zahi Hawass, head of the Egyptian Mummy Project and Secretary General of the Supreme Council of Antiquities, decided to take another look at her tomb. Hawass and his team rediscovered the mummy KV-60A, which had been discovered more than a century earlier, but wasn't thought significant enough to remove from the floor of a minor tomb in the Valley of the Kings. KV-60A had not been given a sarcophagus, nor idols, figurines, or any of the usual items meant to accompany an ancient Egyptian of import to the afterlife. It could be theorized that perhaps this was the body of a servant, or a victim of grave desecration. In fact, the mummy was also left unadorned, without headdress, jewelry, gold sandals, or the ubiquitous golden toe and finger coverings. 1,000 meters away from the body sat a crucial piece of evidence that had been gathered in 1888 and hidden away in storage. 
it was a single molar, which sat in a box labeled Hatshepsut. Thanks to the inscription, the tooth was discovered by a member of Hawass's team and brought to orthodontics professor Yeha Zakaria. Zakaria checked all the mummies, which were under consideration as potentially belonging to Hatshepsut, and found that the tooth was a perfect fit in a gap in the upper jaw of a, to quote, fat woman in her fifties. The identification of the tooth with the jaw can show this is Hatshepsut, Hawash said. A tooth is like a fingerprint. There is an obelisk at Karnak, built during the 18th dynasty, that still bears the words of its female pharaoh. Now my heart turns this way and that, as I think what the people will say. Those who see my monuments in years to come, and who shall speak of what I have done? If you'd like to meet Queen, King, Pharaoh, Hatshepsut, I'm sure I can arrange a meeting. You'll find her at the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, Egypt. Thank you as always for listening, friends. Do remember to check out our Patreon, that's at patreon.com forward slash history obscura. We're also on Twitter at Hist Obscuropod, and we have a brand new Facebook page. Thank you, and good night. How did I do that without mentioning cats? <laughs>